Let me go ahead and reread to you Luke 9. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some said Elias, Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray this Father in heaven, we pray for the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to enlarge our hearts and to set free our wills so that we may freely do your will. And that you would help us in our understanding of what is in front of us now to that end. In Christ's name, amen. What it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus. Let me say that I had the opportunity and privilege to preach not this message, but something similar based on this passage. Um, in supplying the pulpit at Ramona Orthodox Presbyterian Church back in July 3 of 2005. This was in the evening. And it was at the invitation of its pastor, Bruce Brody, who has recently gone to uh, the uh, eternal worship of our God and glory. Let me approach this as, let's say, one would in being witnessed to on the street. 
And the first thing that, that one needs, and that we have provided in the example of our Lord and, and that in his own experience of witnessing, is what I would call a good diagnostic question. Now, diagnostic would be like a doctor's diagnosis or a mechanic's diagnosis, okay, of, of your vehicle. You know all about that. Uh, and the question is this, in verse 18. Who say the people that I am? In other words, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? It's a very, very important question, is it not? And when you approach it that way, you're more than likely going to raise the curiosity of people. And you certainly are not going to offend them. And I'll tell you why. Because... Uh, you're talking about someone else than yourself, than themselves, or yourself. In Pakistan, I remember uh, when one minister came and visited us, that, and that was what was in my mind when I made reference to uh, missionaries from other lands or pastors from other countries coming our way. Uh, when asked, well, how do you witness to Muslim people? You're there. You're living right with them. I mean, it's probably no easier than, than our witnessing to people here. And, and the answer was, well, you don't talk about their religion. You talk about Jesus. And they'll listen. Well, it turns out, of course, if you know anything about Islam, he is considered a prophet, although not the prophet of prophets. Muhammad is, is him. But when you talk about Jesus, you get off of something that would for them be potentially offensive. Although the preaching of the cross is offensive, even to them, but you have a foot in the door. And this is some of the approach of our Lord when he taught his disciples, as it were, to ask those that they would meet, who do you think Jesus is? And of course, at this point, they're, they're caucusing here, and they're talking about, at the instigation of our Lord, uh, tell me, uh, what are some of the results uh, that you're getting back from the field? It's like this track that I have here. Where will you spend eternity? It's another approach to get the ball rolling, a point of contact, as we call it. Now, in Matthew 16, I'll read this to you, uh, Peter gives a fuller answer when asked by the Lord, uh, well, who do men say that I am? And his answer was, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which our Lord replied, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Which leads me to another point. And that is no one can teach anyone about Christ. But Christ himself. Or God himself. Paul the Apostle talks about how if the princes of this world had known who it was that they had in their in other words, Pontius Pilate. If he, if he only knew that he 
was who he said he was, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He would have backed off. If the leaders of the world were to know that the one that is the God of the Bible is their God, is the very one who puts them where they are in power, and who will be the one who will take them out of power when the time comes, even as he is the one who places us in this life and will remove us from this scene of time. If they only knew, they would not have agreed to the crucifixion of Christ. I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. And that's the reason why any of us, you and I, particularly, receive him and worship him now. Because he has been revealed in our hearts to us by his spirit. But why was the Messiah, the Christ, we're both the same, one is in the Hebrew, the other is in the Greek. Why was Christ sent into the world in the first place? We see in verse 22 how, or the, the purpose for which he came. That he must suffer many things. He rejected of men. He rejected particularly of the religious leaders, the very authorities in the church and in the land, because they were both. And that he would be slain, he would be murdered, he would be killed, and be raised the third day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish and have everlasting what was the fruit of his mission, his ministry on earth? It was all of one. And that is to the praise of God's glory, to make sinners like you and I into his followers. To be made disciples of Jesus Christ. Notice I said disciples, not church members first, not followers. When you're made a disciple, a true disciple of Christ, as we're going to hear now, hear more about now, you're the Lord's. You're Christ's. And, of course, almost immediately upon his giving his purpose of his mission, he tells them to tell others, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Am I leaving anything out? In this particular account of Luke, there's one word that's included that is not in the other Gospels, and what is that? Daily. The word daily. The word daily. He goes on to say, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. It was costly on the part of our Lord. But he's saying here that those who will follow him, it will be costly for them as well. 
It was costly that he gave him his life for us. It will take our giving up our lives for him and nothing less. This is what he meant. <clears throat> taking up our cross is not just taking up the trials and tribulations of this life that irk us and that uh, plague us and yet don't cost us anything in the long run. But being willing to do everything and to do everything up to and including being willing to lose your life is praying that prayer, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to die for you if that's what you have for me, Lord. Yes, the cross is a symbol of our being willing to suffer a humiliating death if necessary, an unjustifiable death for Jesus. Like what martyrs do, who have that special place in the heart of God and, and in heaven. But the bottom line for all of us is this. Is it worth it? What have I to gain? Isn't that the bottom line always, whether we're talking about finances, we're talking about a decision that we need to make that's life-changing? What will benefit me? And looking at, at what Christ is, is, is offering, at least on this, on this plane, you might wonder, is it really? Now, yes, in terms of heaven, like if Christ said, this is what you must go through to go to heaven, sure, I'm good to go. But are you really? Am I real? Have we asked the hard question, am I willing to get or to lose everything, to get everything, if you will? What should the profit of man if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away. To use the words of another disciple, Mark, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then there's another issue, and that is shame. Did you know that shame is uh, a very important issue when it comes to witnessing to many in other cultures where shame and honor are at stake. Well, in the kingdom of God, it is an issue that we all must face. For our Lord says in verse 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. In other words, am I willing to be shamed by men in order to be praised by God? Or shamed by God? By not praising God by preaching Christ? Some of his hearers will actually be around at the start of his church at Pentecost, 
and actually be part of it. And that's what he meant when he said in verse 27, But I tell you of a truth, that, we, that there will be some standing here which shall not taste of death, meaning they're not going to die yet, until they see the kingdom of God. They're going to see what will amount to the revival, the very first revival of Christ's church since the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a privilege to be made part of the kingdom of God, the church of the living God. Mind you, like being part of any up-and-coming organization, and especially this, joining the kingdom of God has its challenges. In the message that I preached back in 2005, I, I, I borrowed uh, the three, I borrowed from that, uh, what, I, what really amounts to three names for the three different disciples, because there were three, right? And the first one is what I call the comfort zone disciple. Verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Whithersoever. Wow, that's a Middle English word that doesn't get used that much, except in pastor's sermons that use the King James Version or the authorized text or the authorized version. The disciple volunteered to follow Jesus. That's the best kind, wouldn't you say? Lord, lead the way. I'm here to follow you wherever you go. Like those described in the book of Revelation who follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. Or our Lord, who said in another place in John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. Wherever I am, he will follow. He will be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Are you with Jesus in his continuing ministry on earth? Yes, his continuing ministry on earth. Although he is in heaven, his spirit works in the hearts of his people. And his presence is with them as they go out following him. Lord would be saying to this individual, my follower, did you say wherever? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Animals, birds, the foxes have a place to rest, but I don't even have a pillow on which to lay mine. No further comment. Only the future will tell if you stay the course or not. The next one I call the conscripted or drafted disciple in verse 59. He said unto another, follow me. It's a command like he gave to his very first apostles. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Fishers of men, or fishers of fish, fishermen, we would call them, by trade. This disciple laid, as it were, all his cards down on the deck. He didn't want to hold back anything. It's like some people who are very punctilious about detail and, 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 and don't want to get into anything that they know they may regret later on if they didn't give it due 
thought, and prayer. There's one requirement I'm out in this adventure of my lifetime in your service, Lord. It says, he said, Lord, suffer me first. Meaning, let me first to go and bury my father. Let me take care of business. First things first, God. My family obligations, Lord. This is important, right? After all, I'm his son, perhaps his only son. And it all devolves upon him. He is the executor of the family estate. Our Lord says, what? Let the dead bury their dead. Have you ever wondered when you first came across this? What did he mean by that? How can the dead bury their dead? Unless we speak, of course, to those who are spiritually dead and trespasses and sins, and of course, that, that means to say that they're not saved. And well, here I am going off into the mission field, and my family hasn't heard the gospel yet. One could make that kind of an argument, I suppose. I, I did. Uh, that's why I didn't leave for the mission field until I gave the gospel to my family. I got converted here. I went back up north to my family in, in, in Monterey, and, I, and the first thing I did was give the gospel. I remember the first time I gave my, the gospel to my dad. We're both fishermen, and I've said this story before. He almost threw me out of the boat. <laughs> And I think he would, because he never has threatened me in my life then, uh, ever before then, nor since. <laughs> he was a Navy man. But you know what? We might react in this way and say, how rude, how callous, how insensitive. Especially in light of they're not being Christians, let's say it. And, and, and leaving God to them. You know, I had an actual experience of, of something, I always say it's the same. But I went to the Philippines to give my to give the gospel to my family, my extended family. My grandparents were both alive still. My aunts and uncles, and most of them on my dad's side where I was staying, were, were all alive. Most of them were, were living there, all seven of them. And on this journey, the second missionary journey, my grandfather passed away. And I spent almost most of my time with him during the time he was ill. And, and then it was only uh, one occasion I, I made this decision to go and visit my mother's side of the family further south, a day's journey. And I was at the bus stop with my mother, my future mother-in-law, and my aunt, the best friend, ready to board a bus to go to visit the other side of the family. And then, all of a sudden, two of my cousins on my dad's side come running up to me, and they must have traveled an hour to get to the bus stop, to tell me, your grandfather's passed away. You need to come home. And I thought, and I was on the spot, here we were about to board the bus. There's my, my aunt and the mama. And I had to make a decision. And I made the decision to go ahead and return. And ever since then, I've never 
regret it having made the decision. And that because in this case, I would have been a witness to that family, whereas it became a stumbling block instead. So we have to examine these situations accordingly. This is my point here. But of course the Lord is not insensitive to his people's needs. After all, did he not command in the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, honor thy father and thy mother? And would this not have been in keeping with that commandment? What Christ, I believe, is setting before us here is how we may prioritize our lives in such a way that gives glory to God. God first, others second, and me last. Like that promised verse in Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He says, our Lord does, to go and preach the kingdom of God. Is there not any better, nor greater, nor more important way to prioritize God in our lives than this? A Christian witness by the name of Ryan Denton wrote in his book, Even If None, the following, the West has been overrun by paganism and unbelief. It is a secular culture. God is irrelevant in the minds of most people. We see few conversions. We see statistics showing increases in atheism, agnosticism, and false religions. And yet, at the end of the day, this is nothing new. Nor should it keep us from being urgent in our evangelism. David Livingston missionary to Africa's heart of darkness in the 1800s, reminds us in his journals that missionaries in the midst of mass or masses of heathenism seem like voices crying in the wilderness, like reformers before the Reformation. But future missionaries will see conversions following every sermon. We prepare the way for them. May they not forget the pioneers who work in the thick gloom with few rays to cheer, except such as flow from faith in God's promises." Unquote. Granted, to preach the kingdom of God is a tall order in anyone's book. Easier said than done. In fact, Christ would say, with men it is impossible. Let us remember that with God, all things are possible. Our Lord says to show the difficulty. Uh, there will be those who will put you out of the synagogues, which is where the Apostle Paul and company would go first to preach the gospel. It was in the synagogues and the different cities that he went to in the Roman Empire. But then our Lord goes on to say, Yea, and the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he is doing God's service. And that has been happening especially in countries like the Middle East. Who is preaching the kingdom of God, the gospel that exalts God and humbles sinners? Did he not say that the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few, and to pray for God to send more? 
Imagine, our Lord was facing the same dilemma that we face today, of not having enough workers or witnesses. How do we rectify the matter? There has to be a solution. Well, like our Lord with his twelve back there in the Middle East, we can start on our knees. In verse 18, it says that he was alone praying. His disciples were with him. So that's where we start. In Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah 6, 5, someone faced with a similar dilemma. Our brother Isaiah had an experience in which he was brought face to face with the living God. Not all the prophets did. Not all the prophets actually had this beatific vision, if we can call it that, of, of literally heaven coming down to earth. But he did. In verse 5, it says that he saw this appearance of God sitting upon his throne, high lifted up, surrounded by angels, some covering their eyes, some covering their faces, some uh, uh, covering their feet, and some were flying. And they're all crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then he says in verse 5, woe is me, for I'm undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You may feel like Isaiah, like your lips are unclean, like me, give the gospel. I mean, if people only knew my past, if people only knew what kind of a sinner I am, who would hear me? I mean, that is really a, a concern. Would, would you not say? But we need to realize there's something bigger than ourselves. And that is God. And that is Christ. And you know what? He is in our midst. And you know what else? He is the one who's asking us, you and me, in a following verse. In verse 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Then, like Isaiah, you have this experience that he had of realizing that you are in the presence of God, of realizing that God is speaking to you, He's speaking to me. And he's asking us, who will I spend sending? I'm looking us straight in the face. Think you may have an Isaiah experience just like he did. And you might respond and cry as he will. Now we come to the third and last disciple, whom I call the careful or full of care disciple. Care in the Bible is often referred to as someone who is full of many things, many thoughts, uh, many duties and responsibilities and the like, and, and even care in the sense of anxiety, or care and anxieties on the Lord because he cares for us, Peter said. Uh, in verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. 
But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. This disciple, I suspect, happened to overhear the conversations that were going on. And damn, what's wrong with saying goodbye, right? To your family, you're going to leave them for, for a good while, perhaps, maybe even for a long time. You're, you're following Jesus and you're going to go into the mission field. The Lord could tell he was having cold feet. Someone else had cold feet in the Bible. And I'm going to refer us to this person, Elisha, found in 1 Kings 19, 18 through 21. 1 Kings 19. through 21. Here's another example of the careful disciple, the full of care disciple. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, says the Lord, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. God is even saying to us, I have not left the church or have left the nation, or have left America without a remnant who will not bow the knee to the God of Baal, to the God of this world, to the God of the state, to the God of, of, of globalism, one world religion and one world government. He has not. So he departed thence and found Elisha. This is Elijah, the prophet. The son of Shaphat was plowing the twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelve. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. He had this cloak and he just threw it on him as a symbol of his anointing, of God's anointing. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. There it is. There it is. I'm going to go back home and say goodbye, say my, bid my farewells. And he said unto him, go back again for what I've done to thee? You're going to go back now? You're going to turn on this opportunity? Because God has called you? What? And he returned back from him. He did go home in this case took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So, Elijah took care of that temptation, didn't he? <laughs> he, he, he? He killed all of his... Uh, a yoke of oxen, and he had a feast for the very people that he would minister the word of God to. The very people that he would give the gospel to. And that's not such a bad idea, actually. And God allows for creativity in the ministry, especially when the people around you uh, are too hungry and their stomachs are growling that they can't hear what you're saying. 
I remember my father-in-law said that to me. He says, Gil, if you ever minister in the Philippines as a missionary, you make sure you take care of both departments. Make sure it is a ministry of word and deed, not word only. Because they ain't going to hear you if they don't have a chibug in their stomach. That's a Filipino term, so you know what. <laughs> now, all of this to say what it means to follow Jesus. Our Lord said later on in the book of Luke, and Luke spends a lot of time on discipleship. If you want to study discipleship, if you want to have a, a manual for studying discipleship, study the book of Luke. He says in, verse, in Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Count the cost. Count the cost if you want to be a follower of Jesus. Because it's one of those things that you can't turn back on. The one who looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Keep that in mind. Because the words of our Lord are not mine. It's like the word faith. Did you know what faith means? The acronym faith. Forsaking all I take. You have faith. Christ did not save everyone. Christ does not save everyone. But if you want to be saved, you come to him, not in your terms, but in his. In closing, let us look at one more passage in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice he says to come to him to find rest, rest from all the labors and the struggles and all the difficulties that we have, and especially up here. This is where most of it is. This is where it starts, but this is where most of it is and, and stays. And the Lord wants to give us rest from all of the above, and especially from our sins. If we are His, of course, He has taken care of that. But then He says something very, very significant. He says, take my yoke on you. You know what a yoke is? Have you ever seen one of those things? Ever lifted one of those things? I have. Pretty heavy. And put that on you. But remember that it's his yoke. And there are usually two oxen required. And he's saying, put that in you. Well, who's the other one? My wife? Uh, my, my, my friend who's a Christian? No. It's Christ. So Christ and you are under that yoke. And it's the yoke of being his disciple. Or, as we see here, his learner. Which is what a disciple is. He learns from the Lord. He is a follower of the Lord. He's in the school of the Master. 
and there's no greater nor better one than Christ. And he's saying, learn of me. Be a learner of me. And follow me. Will you? Will you? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you tell us in your word what it means to follow you. Help us, oh God, to be better followers of you. And if, Lord, there may be some who are not yet in your kingdom to become followers of yours, because you are worthy. You're worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of all of our love. You're worthy, Lord, of everything. Help us, O oh God. Lord, help us because we don't have it in ourselves, but we know, Lord, that you give grace. And you, and you alone, are able to help us to make that right decision that we counted the cost to be able to follow you and to keep on following you 